This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, another, well, let me first say, host, but also realtors at Oakwin in Vancouver. That's right. Downtown Vancouver. That's right. Um, but also today, no guest. So no the guest air by was design. just uh, let, nope. let out of the room No here. guest by design. I, I would like to say though, I feel like we had some pretty decent feedback on that habits episode. Yes. And I'm feeling energized to... Uh, you want to do it again? Just shoot the breeze, you know, shoot the breeze on the mic. <laughs> yeah. Well, this episode is called, Should I Invest in Vancouver Now? Right. Okay? But there's just to kind of unpack a little bit what we talk about. We talk about the best performing markets in the past 10 years. It's a bit of a quiz. You it can is. play at home. Yeah. And then we talk about our thoughts on how Vancouver, what role should it have in your investment portfolio? why it's a great investment right now, why it will continue to be a great investment. What are the key points around demand, supply? There's some other stuff we talk about. And then some picks on where we think might be big growth areas. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I feel like the logic of doing this episode was twofold. One is we had daily habits for for investing in Vancouver real estate. And based on some feedback and some thinking afterwards, you know, we haven't talked about, wait a second, should I be investing in Vancouver real estate for a right. while? It comes up kind of, uh, we circle it all the time on the show, of course, but uh, we, take we it haven't, for granted. we have, yeah, we take it for granted. We haven't really unpacked exactly the logic of investing in Vancouver real estate and continuing to invest in Vancouver real estate on the show since the episode one. Yeah. Right. And the logic has changed to since borrow, 2016. To borrow a Clint Murphy term, this is the Vancouver thesis. This is the Vancouver thesis. Right. Yeah, in right. a lot of ways. Matt, before we get to our conversation with ourselves, we should say this week we are sponsored by Scalina Real Estate. Absolutely, Adam. And we want to highlight, I mean, we have a lot of Speaking of supply, a lot of new listings Vancouver, coming in. The next Vancouver's few weeks. a supply constraint place, but we have a lot of Not really office, exciting, Matt. really exciting listings coming. I want to highlight a two bed, two bath at Strathcona Village. Yes. This is an exceptional floor plan, 737 square feet. We have it listed for 719.9. Wow. It's under 1,000 a foot. That building's 2018. Tank. Part of East Van. Just opened the Vietnamese restaurant at the base as well, which is exceptional. Strathcona Village, that listing, open house on Saturday, two to four. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We have all our featured listings there now. You're going to want to check it out. While you're there, hit sell with us where you can download the most downloaded document we've ever had, the Soul Plan. Yeah, Matt, the Soul Plan is a step-by-step guide to get your home sold for top dollar in the shortest amount of time. SOLD stands in this case for start on launch date. It's an acronym. That's right. Uh, And uh, you pick your launch date and it gives you instructions. Basically, you work backwards 
to the goal date, two, three weeks and to get your place ready. And it is easy to follow. Like we said, it's a step-by-step guide. And uh, there's really no reason any, everyone should have this document. It's evergreen. It's a direct download. You go, you hit, go to vancouverrealestatepodcast.com slash sell, or just go to vancouverrealestatepodcast.com, hit sell with us. You can do a direct download. You get it immediately and you're done. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. But Matt, without further ado, why don't we cut to our conversation about investing in Vancouver? Should I invest in Vancouver real estate? Coming right up. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at Markon Homes. Mark on building for life. Okay, Matt. So we're talking today about should I invest in Vancouver real estate? And this episode, kind right of, now, should I invest right now in Vancouver right now, real estate? This this right. moment, and you know what? It kind of piggybacks on the habits for investors show. That was, I think, two episodes ago. That's that was right. just the two of us. And part of the reason is, you know, we got a lot of people that reached out from that episode saying they enjoyed the show. But the types of questions that they were asking us, you know, you jump on a call and it's like, okay, I'm I'm thinking about Halifax. I'm thinking about like Guelph. Can, I'm thinking about... Can I get a PCS search for Regina? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Edmonton. Here's the thing. And these are, are maybe all great markets to be, to be investing for, of especially course, if your yeah. goals are maybe cash flow or, you know, a variety of other things, or if you're looking for a lower cost. Down payment. Yeah. I mean, the, the easier, easier swings. Exactly. So we definitely, uh, we don't disagree with that approach, but we, it was kind of high time to say like, let's pull back and talk about the role of Vancouver in anyone's investment portfolio. And also, should I invest in Vancouver? Yeah. I mean, I guess we've, the other thing that struck me was, you know, we started off this show in 2016 with basically a, should I invest in Vancouver real estate, right? That was like episode number one, or why should I invest in Vancouver real estate? Right. And we kind of circle that question all the time on the show, but we've never kind of revisited it so directly. And a lot's changed since 2016. It's actually entirely different in a lot of, like, it's so different in terms of where people saw the benefit of investing in this market that it's almost unbelievable if you went back to episode one. I think the, the crazy part is I feel like if you the the big from my memory push at that time was 
Vancouver. And, and a lot of that was based on a, a New Yorker article from the time, but it was that Vancouver is an international hedge, yeah. right? It's for the global elite. It's a place where you can park money right. and feel safe from climate change, political strife, right. you know, all, all the things that we love about Vancouver. Uh, that was kind of a major thrust of that episode. But the foreign buyer tax came in that same year. Yeah. And then it's the empty homes throwing, tax lot came in the market. and every other, the BC spec tax, all the rest. And I wouldn't make that argument today about Vancouver. It's not an international hedge city at all. And yet it's still a very expensive place. Yeah, exactly. With, yeah. with incredible appreciation. But it's been tough to kind of find the smoking gun. And I think in, in a lot of ways, it seems everyone's kind of settled on on inventory and expediting building processes and, and, and creating supply, right? I think is where everybody seems to be focusing their attention. It's been something the industry has been screaming for a very long time. But let's let's talk about... You know that was that was coming up on a decade ago that that show. That's right, eight, eight years, and now we've got kind of the numbers just in from last month. Let's talk Stats about hot off the press here. Yeah. So first of all, you know, if you're thinking about why should I invest in in Vancouver real estate, so one is is let's talk about resiliency, right? I mean, the last year we had the highest interest rates in the past decade in the market, right? we saw the market do across the board 5% increase. Which when, just to back up here a little bit, like if you think of all, you know, we, we talked about, I just went over the, the argument in 2016 of, of why Vancouver makes a lot of sense. The other thing that I think people looking back, especially when it, this, this started to be the narrative when we were talking about inflation being transitory was We've had quantitative easing for 10 years, basically right. since the 2008 great financial crisis. And that has inflated asset prices so dramatically. And Vancouver was used as almost like a, the poster child for inflated real estate prices. And the idea was, okay, the minute interest rates start going up, it's going to be chaos. There's going to be blood in the street. And like you said, that started in 2022 2023, I think sales volume was the lowest since 2003, right? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, and we saw five percent price appreciation. Well, we saw, yeah, we saw. First of all, we saw sellers dig their heels in and just be like, "No, I'm I'm not going to sell right now, or I'm going to wait to get my price." And second of all, I think what we saw was the bank of mom and dad step up because there's just so much money in the region. We're going to get all to, to all this, but before we get to this. Oh yeah, you want to do this I, I quiz. Want, I want to do a quick quiz. Just, you know, kind of now that we're getting close to the 10-year mark and and some of these might might surprise you, but we've always talked about the pecking order of investments in real estate as being kind of single family as the high like highest and best, townhomes and half duplexes kind of second and condos kind of third. Well, and it go and it goes from the the old adage of buy land. Yeah, right? That's sure. the you know, that's where the real value is. So here's here's my question to you. What property type, okay? So detached, uh, semi-detached or attached, performed the best in the past decade? So we got single family, townhouse, or apartment? Over the last 10 years. You know, it, here's the thing. I'm thinking I'm going to talk through my answer. This is like... Uh, I was trying to trick you with how I... How to, be, how to be a million... What is that show? How to be a millionaire? 
Is that how, what it was called? Yeah. No, I'm uh, going to talk through my answer. You know, on that show. Not how to be a millionaire. No. Uh, who wants to be a millionaire? Who wants to be a millionaire? Be a millionaire? Be a millionaire? Now, I'm thinking single family had a good run in like 2014 through 2016. But then it was the year of the condo in 2017. And we saw... It, from my memory, about a 30% increase in 2017. Well, single family did almost 8% last year. Yeah. So what I'm going to say is, and I feel like it basically, I bought my house in 2017 and I've watched it pretty consistently since then. I'm going to say the overall- The house has gone down in value. I know. It's like, <laughs> dude, man, what? how'd you do that? How'd, how'd you find <laughs> I'm it? I'm a master. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with single family. I think over the last 10 years, the ups have been really extreme and there haven't been that many downs. Single okay, family so is my single final family. answer. Okay. Past 10 years, single family, lower mainland has done 102.8% increase. Okay. Now, you're actually wrong. Oh, Townhouses, okay. 133.4% increase. Apartments, 111.8%. Single family actually is the lowest at 102.8. That's actually- Which goes against, you know, and we were just talking about, and it will come out on a future episode, Tom Davidoff on the show. Right. But I feel like the logic is single family should outperform. Right. But the log- logic doesn't necessarily work. Well, his, his thing now is he's talking about upzoning. Right. Like the, it's, it's the upzoning. So you, you would think with all these new changes from multiplexes and within 200 meters of Skytrain's, the 20-story buildings. But still, it's like the, there's overall, I think it's like there's a logic to why that should make sense. And yeah. it doesn't, I guess in this case, it doesn't necessarily make sense. No, I think what this is telling is, a, is an affordability story. And, and I'll tell you why. Let's talk about going through the different regions. Okay. All right. So of all the product types, okay, where in the region was the best performing submarket? Okay. I think I got this. And we're talking REBGV here. Yeah. I get so confused with, uh, yeah. with the governing bodies. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> we're talking BCREA yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be clear. These are the REBGV stats. Yes. Um, yeah, you're right. Okay, I'm going to say Townhomes and I'm going to say Maple Ridge. Okay, Townhomes, Maple Ridge. If you were to buy a townhouse in Maple Ridge 10 years ago. 2014. 2014. That townhouse now would be up remarkably 185%. But that's not the highest performing market. And I'll give you a hint. I don't want to be... You know, man, you get, did that outperform the market overall though? Townhomes in Maple Ridge. Well, I know. And this is okay, like this is the affordability story. So there's a couple things to the affordability yeah. story. Okay, I want to hear investing the, the based thesis. on where is affordable and 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 how is this going to continue to define our market. So here's here's a bit of the thesis. One, top performing market across the board. And I guess you could make arguments for maybe being kind of almost like a little bit of wreck as well. The beach. Squamish. So oh. we, we called Squamish on this podcast. Anyone that's been listening to us. Uh, I feel like we were big pumpers of Squamish. Huge pumpers. And <laughs> never and never, never bought it. And never pumped. Or, yeah, never actually acted this on that is, pump. This was the canvas of, uh, yeah. The, yeah, uh, no kidding. No kidding. Yeah. But we really got excited. It just wasn't the right time. Yeah, totally. But here's here's the thing. This actually kind of blows my mind. Some of our clients bought Squamish oh, though. So and it's like, Squamish. I, know. I know this is so single family in Squamish. 
did in the past decade 202.6%. Townhouses in Squamish did 203.5%. Okay. And apartments in Squamish, this is unbelievable, 246.1%. And that's so apartments in Squamish is the best performing property type and yes. area in all of the real estate board of greater Vancouver in the last 10 years. Yeah. And here's, here's why I think so. Like if you look at the less affordable markets throughout the region, they all, and I mean, part of it is COVID work from home, of course. Okay. So we have to kind of, sure, but it hasn't been. Yeah. Okay. I guess. So we're, we, we're, I think the last 10 years is enough of a span where that's going to factor in, but it's not the whole story. It's not the whole story, but there, there's some pretty significant jumps in the last five years. So that's part of it. But I think the affordability narrative too, if you think about it, you look at like your Maple Ridges, your Chilliwacks, all the, you know, you saw this humongous growth mm-hmm. and here's the lagging markets. And some of these might surprise I actually, people. I, you asked me one of these, you didn't ask me those other questions, but you did ask me this and this, I actually got, well, I here, I got I'm going to, I'll frame it as a question okay. for you at home, just to, to create a little bit of tension. Uh, excitement tension. and tension. What are the two most lagging markets in single family detached in the last 10 years? Okay. I know, I think I guessed one before, which West Van. Yeah. West Van. That one seems obvious. But it yeah. just because it it was it was on such a tear, prices so, are so expensive, and I I think maybe more linked to it literally. But it literally, I feel like West Van. The narrative changed around, or the everything changed around West Van with the foreign buyers. Tax. Yeah, that went. That, it's that and it's like up. literally never came back. I mean, it's you know, world's smallest violin for people who live in West Van. Well, it's a beautiful spot, and uh, and, now and the houses are are. Remarkable. Yeah, remarkable. There's a lot of there's a lot of great things about West Vancouver. But the, the thing is, is here here's what the stats say about West Vancouver. 51% in the past decade for single family detached. In second most uh, uh lowest And they probably did 50% in the first two years of these stats. You know what? That's tougher to say. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just I'm just speculating. I don't well, yeah, you don't they, have to they, come they, up with an answer I, on I, No, 12% in the first year. And then it was basically relatively flat, but yeah. Well, what's the second market? Give me the second market. I, I bet I can make, I'll, I'll make the, I'll, I'll make a guess. Yeah. Make a guess. West side. Yeah. You got them both. 57. I feel like everybody playing at home got the West side as well. Well, I mean, it's, 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 this is the thing, right? I mean, it's a 4 million bucks versus in some markets, one and a half million bucks, right? Or whatever. Right. Right. So looking at now townhouses, very, very similar. We had in uh, Vancouver West, 89%. And in Tawasson was a low point. What? Tawasson. It's in, uh, have you heard of Tawasson? <laughs> oh, you mean Sawasson. Yeah, so yeah, Sawasson. <laughs> thank you. So it's, uh, yeah, Sawasson was a, was a low point. Um, Wait, low point meaning what? 66.9% increase in 10 huh. years, which is that's a bit That's actually surprising. a bit... Uh, yeah, that's but a, you saw almost the like valley. You saw the valley go crazy. Yeah, uh, perhaps not surprisingly, but apartments again, West Vancouver and Vancouver and the West Side, lower points in the past decade. Huh? Surprised? I am surprised. This is a, this is a useful exercise. Well, I, I guess, like you quizzing me based on the stats. 
<laughs> well, no. I mean, I guess, I guess the point is, is that I'm, I'm just thinking if Let's, any. But flesh out the 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 affordability thesis. I mean, it seems pretty clear. I, uh, I think the idea is that the most expensive markets did not increase in value as much as the le- the more affordable markets. Right. And what we're what we're definitely seeing is the property types with the lower entry barrier to entry outperforms. Right. That the, that the region over the last 10 years has kind of been shaped by people searching for affordability that kind of drive till you qualify idea. And townhomes being kind of the, the number one performing product type. Right. Which again, not that surprising, right? Because you think about young families. And, and single family is a big swing. Single family is a big swing. Almost an impossible swing. Apartments is probably your last choice if you're, if you're starting a young family. And, you know, you think about, and I think like now that I'm thinking about this, uh, you know, a lot to do with COVID, but a lot to do with affordability. It's tough to kind of define, sure. you know, which, which, which was driving. But this makes me think of Brendan Augmentson last week. So you okay. combine these two, these two components together and you might, uh, if you're wondering what to buy, Brendan Augmentson at least suspects that the best performing markets look for the ones with the biggest swing in the last year. Just kind of an His obvious take was point. Kinda, I, the valley, the valley, but the valley, our take was kind of like Chilliwack, right? Yeah, but so you look for where there's been the biggest swings up and now down, and combine that with the fact that those are very affordable markets as well, right? And uh, and I think you can isolate some areas to go shopping. Yeah, and if you think about continued work from home, like a lot of people moving to the hybrid model, and the drive to you qualify. That, that supports that logic as well. Right. Right. So, I mean, I think that's kind of what's emerging from the stats past 10 years. But let's talk about, let's, let's, let's move on. That was on not from, even supposed to, that, that was like an add-in to, to, the, to this podcast. How are we uh, 20 minutes into this? <laughs> God. Maybe we just hit, that, that's to this week's podcast. But so somebody out there is going, okay, you guys have talked a lot about the last 10, 10 years of stats. Past performance does not guarantee future performance. Yeah. You know, if we all had a time machine, the real question and what we pitched as the show is, does Vancouver real estate investing make sense today? Right. Should I invest in Vancouver real estate now in 2024? Yeah, exactly. So let's make the case. Yeah, I guess uh, the big thing is, is yes, you know, if we all had time machines, we'd be going after Squamish real estate. But I, I think the thing is, is yeah, you're right. Is, is Vancouver still a great market? The thing that always comes, comes, I come back to about Vancouver and just partly how much I love this city, but how much other people love this city and what's going on in this city. And yeah, it's expensive. And it, you know, you got to have a lot of money to invest in this city. It's not a cash flow market. There's definitely some challenges. But here's one thing I know about Vancouver real estate as part of like a portfolio is this is blue chip real estate. Right. And, and, and I think that's kind of the overarching theme is you want to have a property in the lower mainland, I think, in your portfolio. If you can have more, if you can afford more, that's, that's great. But as part of your diversifying in your real estate portfolio, I think having something in this market, if you can, if you can take the swing, it's, you're going to be happy that you own something in this region. Right. And the the reason that people consistently are investing in this, in Vancouver, in this market, is they're making a bet on overwhelming demand, yes. which we've consistently seen, and perpetually low supply, 
which we have definitely seen, and the end is nowhere in sight. I right? want and I want to make that clear because, and I even if we have to say the exact same things over and over again, they're making a bet on overwhelming demand and perpetually low supply. And if you haven't heard that as a theme in this podcast for the last eight years, from every single person in the development community saying it a different way, go back and listen. <laughs> go, this go is the exact thesis. This is what happens. We never catch up on supply. And, we're not and then we close. get these demand shocks. And I, I just want to define here, demand shock. This is when everybody rushes in to buy something at the same time. And if you don't have the supply, the cost of the asset goes up. Right. 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 So, and, and, and I mean, over the last 10 years, this has happened, depending on what we're talking about. What is it? Arguably, we saw that, we saw it happen even in the first half of last year. Yeah. Yeah. When rates there was like were, no yeah. inventory, when rates were like, and that was where the 5% really came from. It didn't come from the last half of last year. No. Uh, but the first half of 2023, Multiples on almost everything. Yeah. Right? There's a potential that we're going into a demand shock right now. It feels that way. It, right? It's it's bubbling. It's like if and we're, if we're is looking low. for a, a boil, yeah. I'm starting to see the bubbles here where you're like, okay, this is about to blow. Yeah. And people know it. Like we, you know, I've sat down with so many people in the last six weeks that have said, you know, I've operated in this market enough that I know that it's only a matter of time before everybody's fighting each other to buy something this feels like a moment. I know that that's coming. I don't know when it's coming. It could be this year, early this year. It could be middle of the year. It could be next year. It's all right now. It's all news kind of mm -hmm. contingent. It's contingent on the rate. Yeah. But it's coming. Yeah, absolutely. So let's unpack demand. Okay. Because we're, this is basically the thesis is this blue chip real estate based on overwhelming demand and perpetually low supply. Unpack demand. Demand. Okay. I, I, I think this is, is underplayed when people talk about demand, but we do have the best climate and I think the most beautiful city in Canada for sure. hundred percent. And, and I, first of all, if you grew up here and you haven't lived in other parts of Canada, like eight months, like with, you know, like everyone freaked out at the, the three days of snow that we had last week. And snow What is it? Snowpocalypse. Snowpocalypse. Is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, but like, I had real, a client actually say to me, Oh my God, you're confident in this. Oh like, yeah. Oh yeah. You develop serious skills growing up in the prairies. <laughs> I'm like, this, this is nothing. Yeah. No, I know. I was like out, like I could have rode a bike to work yeah. that. Like, no, she was very impressed. Yeah. You know, it was actually a lot of people cross country ski here when the snow flies, <laughs> which is not what anyone else does anywhere else in the country. Uh, but what's wild is that just thinking about it, like just like we are the California of, of Canada. Yeah. <laughs> we are where people come uh, for the weather, right? And I mean, it. yeah, sure, it rains, but most people are going to take, you know, 10 degrees and, uh, and rain every day of the week, right? So there's that. Uh, it's obviously beautiful. Definition of a 15-minute city. And I don't say that in the way of conspiracy theory right. people out there that talk right. about I didn't even minutes. Yeah, I didn't even know that was a thing until recently. Yeah, well, but the reality is, is it's completely life, lifestyle driven. The It's amenity rich. I would argue that a lot of the SkyTrain hubs that are like early formed are better amenity rich than other cities throughout Canada right. already. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're like five years into the master plan. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this is, this is like, we are so blessed here in terms of how 
easy it is to operate in this city. Well, and this is why we've had so many, I mean, you know, Gil Kelly, the former uh, chief planner of the city of Vancouver on. We've had Larry Beasley on a bunch talking about just, I mean, it's an example for urban planners. Yeah. Well, and Larry Beasley is is celebrated globally because of his work in Vancouver. Right. And and I just want to, like, the other thing is, is just anecdotally, I mean, I, I always think of that one client we had who moved here from uh, a, a smaller, like a small town in Ontario, who he dropped 50 pounds his first year living here. Right. Like, just incredible. Yeah. Like, because he walked everywhere. Parked. Oh, he, right. He never, he never. I, th- yeah. I thought it was just he cut out muffins. <laughs> they don't have Atkins <laughs> in Ontario. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, no, it was, that, that was, I was going oh, on right. the 15 minute like, city. What's the, what's, the, what's the secret? <laughs> hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. This podcast is sponsored by Common Ground Consulting. Are you developing in the lower mainland? Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. Robust economy, like you can think about how, how diverse the economy is, but also how positioned it is for yeah, the future, for, for right? the future, I mean, yeah, it's it's incredible, right? And there's there's high paying, there's great jobs. We have great schools. We're liberal, open, accepting. This is a great. It's a great place to live compared to other places throughout the world, right? Now you take that and combine something we've been talking about uh, in the last year and a half, a lot more, but massive federal immigration, yes, right? and how many of those? I mean. Vancouver, in a lot of ways, is a gateway city, and a lot of people remain here. It's one of the cities that people end up in. 500,000 permanent residents uh, in Canada in the last year, so that demand just gets, it's like demand on steroids. Yeah, and 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 ties into the schools as well, right? I think this is like a place that people want to come and live. And if you're thinking about people coming from the rest of the world, if they can choose where to go, Vancouver will always be like a priority city, right? A priority choice. 100%. So, so the demand is there. Yeah. But let's talk about, let's, let's talk about. Not some- to mention, I just want to say, and I don't have the stats in front of me, but one thing that's come out in this show a lot is generational waves and house formation. And, and I think, again, it was, um, 
was it last week we talked about millennials and house formation over the next right five to ten years and what that what that looks like and I think BCREA is doing a lot of work around that and same with the the real estate board of Greater Vancouver but it's not only external supply it's also just household formation and the demographics of Canada and where these large cohorts are in terms of life trajectories totally and we're in a moment where the second largest generation is actually in that household formation and it's the millennials. Yeah. I think you're the oldest millennial I know. I don't, I don't identify you're as gen, a, you're gen, Brendan Augmentson and me are definitely Gen X. I'm Gen <laughs> X. Come on. Not that I'm not trying to be a millennial. No. To the millennials out there, but I think I'm on. Do you the, identify as I a Gen actually, X? Here's the thing. Uh, None of your business, uh, how I identify. Uh, there's 1982 is the cutoff. I, I'm, I feel like you're making that up. No, that's the cutoff. That's the millennial. You are a millennial if you were born 1982 or after. Okay. Chat GPT it. Okay. All right. All right. I'll, uh, I will accept I it. I should have framed you're, that as a quiz you're the question. Youngest, you're the youngest uh, Gen, Gen Xer I know. Yeah, exactly. let's, let's put it that way. But okay, so we figured out demand. The demand well, yeah. is overwhelming. I, and the only other thing that we used to always say, which I, I still think applies, but the Pacific Rim and Cascadia and whole, like, it's so, it's a desire. Like there's a lot of reasons to want to be in this region. There's Listen, I'm working with a a, a guy right now who's in San Francisco this week for work. Yeah. He's back and forth. One of his friends who I've also worked with, never too busy for your referrals, is now in Seattle working. And, you know, it just, I was thinking about it when he was talking about, you know, these guys, they're moving up and down the the coast. Yeah. And and it's not, the the national border is not even in, you know, the, the way they're conceiving of their, their work-life trajectory through Cascadia. Totally. Totally. And, and the context of the Pacific Rim, I mean, that that's, it's obvious with just opening up in terms of like flights and everything else. Right. I mean, it's just, it, it makes everything easier on this side. So it, it all makes sense, but let's talk about supply. Yeah. I feel like we've talked a lot about supply on this show as well. Supply, a lot of this, and I mean, again, if you've been listening to the show a long time, and a lot of people are going to just roll their eyes at having to hear well, this in first twenty, in tw- But hold on, let's just go back to this 2016 International Hedge City. Yeah. You don't remember the 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 idea of the, this ta- was our the first towers, episode. right, the towers with no lights on, oh, yeah. they're empty towers. You know, I was in Panama once, the cocaine towers, it was basically the same idea. You know, basically- How long did you stay there? <laughs> No, but I mean the the towers downtown. Oh, there's yeah. I've never seen all the lights on. You know, yeah. it was the idea like sure it, we had all these towers that sat empty. Yeah, which no one says anymore. No. It's ridiculous because they and, and clearly policy was driven by those narratives. Yeah, because the empty homes tax, but um, and the BC spec tax. Yeah. But like those days are gone. We're all on the same page here. There's not enough supply here. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's, okay, well, let's talk about supply. So, I mean, this is the one that, you know, if you're at home, uh, I can, you know, hear you rolling your eyes, but- This is a drinking game. Ge- uh, geographically, uh, this is a mountains <laughs> to the north, U.S. border to the south, ocean to the west, ALR to the east. But I mean, like the reality is, is we have basically up to go, right? Which is why we're seeing now everything being up zoned. Right. Right. I mean, this is this is why we're seeing that. And now man, like the province had to step in. And this is this is the other thing. When you think about politics and development, we've had mi- years of misguided policy focusing on demand 
and not creating supply. And we talk a little bit next week with Tom Davidoff about this, but this idea that we've wasted so much time. I actually think, and I think there's a, maybe a blog post in, in this thought. I got to really roll this out is focusing on our actual geography as a, a reason for supply constraint has actually, okay, hold on. This is like a, I, I'm very early days on this and it's not that complicated, so but I'm thinking having trouble thinking. I'm thinking out loud. Focusing on geography has actually taken the focus away from how the politics of building has really been the main culprit, right? Like it's like, we've had this idea of it's we're, we're in a landlocked, a landlocked situation, but really we could have built enough housing over the last 10 years. I would argue that it was even worse. It was, it was focusing, it was the demand measures. And it was that narrative of, I think it was like, we were so, I think there was just so much uh, time spent on thinking that if we could just curb demand right. and where the demand was coming from, right. that it's, it's actually not a supply issue, right? And I think that was like the great distraction that has really put us in this and not listening to industry, industry people that were screaming it at yeah. the top of their lungs, right? So I think part of it is now with Brendan Augmentson, we talked about like, when does meaningful supply come online with these new measures going on at the provincial level? And he's like, I think a decade yeah. before we even start to see an uptick really in, in, uh, in, in, in the amount of housing we have. And you know what? And one of the, one of the best examples of like the drop in a bucket scenarios of new housing supply. And I was, uh, I, I, I got this one wrong, I think was watching Brentwood. Yeah. What does that do to rents? You know, that was my thinking when it was like, oh, there's like going to be like, However, many, you 18 towers. Oversaturation. 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 Yeah. Like you, you're building 18 Everyone towers. That. Right? It's like, what does that do to rents? What does that do to prices? Man, when those are all built, like it's yeah. easy to, to be excited about Brentwood when you're buying off plans. But when you see all those buildings, you're like, oh my God. And yet it's rivals downtown though. Yeah. And the rents are through the roof in Brentwood. Yeah. And I think that goes to show that, you know, however many thousands of homes were built in Brentwood, it's a drop in the bucket of what we actually need to be building here. Yeah. That's how behind the eight ball we are. Yeah. And I mean, the, the scary thing though is, is like when you think like we saw Ken Sim at uh, a talk a few, few weeks, well, I guess a few months ago now, yeah. shout out to Addy, Stephen Jagger. Yeah. But the, um, what was amazing is like, he's pushing everything in the right direction, but like, it's still probably two years out to get, you know, to really improve the speed at the municipal yeah. level. Yeah. And then you think about like, just even getting, you know, skilled labor, getting build, getting, getting stuff passed at the, at the municipal level and just actually building. It's like, yeah, it's like Brendan Augmentson said, it's like, we're probably a decade out from seeing any kind of meaningful movement. Yeah. And so, you know, you, we've got the years of misguided policy We've got nimbyism on steroids and that's been, which is actually, I mean, has been, I feel like that's going by the wayside in the last year to yeah, two, right? It's still there. I just think it's, um, it, it's, it's muted. It's muted more or it's, it's you know, aging things out. are happening. It's aging yeah. out. Maybe I feel like it's not being taken seriously anymore. Right. right. Remember I was, I think I told this story maybe already on the show, but the woman I met who'd been at the city of Vancouver for like the past 
30 years and she said like her main job was to protect parking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then I was like, and then she's like, and now no one cares yeah. about parking. And I was like, like, it must be, uh, I mean, she did a lot of living. Yeah. No, I know she, she did, did a lot of great stuff at yeah. the city as well as saving parking, but man, yeah, it's funny how things can, can change so quickly, but yeah, NIMBYism on steroids, steroids, a punitive permitting process that has just made it so that it's, it's super frustrating and really hard to get things through and very slow. Yeah. And there's benefits that come out of the, that permitting process, as we've talked about on the show over the years as well. Right. Um, Such as? No, oh, like view corridors and stuff. I mean, there's there's yeah. things, there's good things that have come out of it, but... No, we need a planning department. Yeah. But at the same time, it's it's, it's a very hard... We may not need a park board. <laughs> I think that's gone. Labor shortages and expensive development cost levies. Who Was that on the show we were talking about? You made this point. It was a good one. The infrastructure projects, oh. like how, you know, it's not only do there's not enough skilled labor to build the residential towers, but there's some massive infrastructure projects going on right now and how that's siphoning off a lot of that skilled well, labor. We, I can't remember if it was a Byron chart. It was somebody, somebody from the development community was like, yeah. And then think about it on top of that. Like you're competing with the Broadway subway and you're competing with St. Paul's hospital. Yeah. And then like on top of it, like, there's challenges. I don't know how much I can say about this, but here's one thing I've kind of heard just through the grapevine is it right now, like the company- You're in the corridors of power a lot of the time, would you say? I'm brushing shoulders. <laughs> anyway, what'd you hear? No. Give the, us the goss. Uh, I'm not even going to- No, come on. Censor. You got to say us no. no, but I just, I, I think the big thing is you talk to people in like engineering and like the deal with like the big global country uh, companies that do these major infrastructure problem projects. And it's like, it's hard to even get people to bid on projects now. Cause mm-hmm. like, they're just, they're too, it's like too monopolized, too big. And it's like right now, the, the, the fact is, is that not only do we need all this supply in, increase, but we need the infrastructure to support it. Right, right, exactly. So it's creating a lot of challenges. This so, so basically what we've tried to outline here so far is the overwhelming demand yep. and perpetually low supply. And it's worth saying, neither of these these two things, I think, are are changing anytime soon, right? right. Like that's, that's I, I feel like we've we've staked our whole lives and careers on on this thesis. And I feel very confident that the demand is not going away and the supply is is not coming online anywhere near fast enough yeah. uh, to not to to change the trajectory of real estate in Vancouver. Yeah. And and the only thing, and I mean this is maybe the to circle back to this, but I mean when you think about the resilience of this market and you think about last year and you think like, okay, we had interest rates at highest they've been in the past decade, basically the market did 5%. Yeah. Right. Increased 5%. And the lowest sales volume, nothing was turning over. Yeah. And it still did 5%. I know. And, and so you think about that is just like a, a nod to resilience. Um, and, and, you know, you think about like, oh, eight Vancouver fared better on than most places, you, you know, generally speaking, our market can take a lot of blows. Think of all the pulse, think of everything that's been thrown at it. Right. We have basically, I feel like if you, if you're a bear on this market and you drew up a list, yeah, you're like, oh man, Give it just to me, wait, bumper. just wait till this, 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 or this happens. Yeah. We've, we, they've all happened though. I know. They've literally all happened. Yeah. Like the interest rates was the last one that I thought, okay, this is actually, 
This will get this the market really, on its heels. This is re- yeah. This isn't like no, a, but now it will uh, be a now, jab. It's now, like a right hook. No, but now it's. Uh, I think the the narrative will be mortgage renewals. Mm-hmm. Right. That's gonna the market's gonna implode. Based, but on you know what? I do, and we're hot off uh, Tiff Macklem's uh, holding the speech. Rate. Yeah, and speech this morning about it. And I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like we're not out of the woods, but. Um, we're a fair way out of the woods. And I feel like the market feels that way based on just how the start of the year. But yeah. But I, I also think like last, like, so what saved, and I mean, if, if you had to point to what really saved the market last year is that people, I think it is really kind of the wealth transfer, the clear title ownership. And I wonder, we should get the guys from Rennie's Rennie back, but to talk about this, but I think it's like 373, billion dollars in clear title properties in Metro Vancouver. In most cases, people don't need to sell, right? They have a lot of equity in their, in their homes well, and then a ton of money that they can gift to family to keep them in the region, right? Exactly. And so it's, it's like the bank of mom and dad step up in a super meaningful way in times like last year. And I think I, I've never seen so much gifted money playing into financing than I did last year. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's partly because of rates, but still it's, you know, like life circumstances still happen. People have kids, they have to get into the market, death, divorce, relocation. It all still happens. And it makes a lot of sense from, you know, I'm just thinking if you were, let's say 70 yeah. and let's say you're gifting money. So you've lived in Vancouver your whole life. You've owned the house for 30 years. We went over the last 10 years like you're up dramatically on your house. And that's just the last 10 years. You've yeah. been here for a very long time. Uh, you have that that wealth through real estate. You most certainly believe in real estate in Vancouver because you've lived it for the last 40 years. Yeah, and uh, on top of it, you're keeping your like family. And, and, you, have, and you have the ability to keep your family here yeah. and to help them get on the ladder that has allowed you to do that. Yeah. Like it all makes sense in terms of how this works and, and how that stabilizes the market. Totally. Totally. And so, and this is, and let's, let's just, uh, cause we're at 46 minutes and, um, you know, there's probably a lot of fat in every episode. That's just the two of us that we could trim. And there's some fat we could probably trim in this room. Just cut off your head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how to lose 20 pounds of ugly fat. Uh, let's talk about, cut off your head. Uh, let's talk about the, just quickly summarizing what we're saying here is that, you know, resilience in the market, you get these, these moment, this, this perpetually low inventory and back to the thesis statement, people are making a bet on overwhelming demand and perpetually low supply. That is the thesis statement for why this market continues to make sense as an investment. You buy something and it's a long-term hold. Real estate's supposed to be a long-term hold, right? So I mean if you if you want to have something in your in your portfolio from Vancouver, I think it's one of these it's it's resilient. This is easily a market that can do 10 to 20% in a in a I was going to say year. real estate should be boring and it is often boring. Yeah. Uh, and it should be because you hold it long term, but in this market, it doesn't have to be because of those demand shocks. It yeah. can get it can get actually very exciting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but before we go, Adam, I do want to circle back to. So we've got the thesis. We talked about the last ten years of stats. I am interested in. I think you know somebody out there can probably intuit the picks here. But 
What do you think the last 10 years, and we've said there's no, there's no promise that uh, past performance guarantees future results, but would you take those stats and come up with an area to invest in the future? Uh, I, so I think how I would sit down and think about an informed investment thesis you know, there's always kind of like the blue chip, like, you know, your kits a lot, like people want to live in certain areas and they, they always are top produce, top performing areas. It's like Yale town in downtown, you know, it's like Yale town always drives the percentage in, in downtown, yeah. like year after year after year. It's like people want to live there. But I think right now what would be shaping my, my thesis is kind of looking at the, either the, the, tertiary affordable markets or the, or the affordable markets in, in say the lower mainland that maybe went on a run on COVID, but then got beat up really bad. So kind of like they've already been like, they're down maybe 15% or, or whatever, mm-hmm. but they also are still affordable markets, you know, affordable obviously is relative, but still affordable for the region. Yeah. In right? relation to, to other places. Yeah. And then I also think that there, I think there's um, some, some good thinking with Tom Davidoff next week about not so much land rush, but how, how detached prices can, can really potentially somebody could have a huge windfall from new zoning and, and how that's going to play out. So up zoning around SkyTrain stations and and larger lots, um, I think is is there's some good investments if you want to take a bigger swing and have the money to do so. Yeah, I mean, and just to to re- talk a little bit further about that first point, I do think like the big story in those stats, and we said it at, at the start is is the how the region has kind of shifted along affordability lines, and one thing that's happened in the last four or five years more so is it's like town centers have become more vibrant, right? Yeah. Maybe was that maybe, maybe the last decade, let's say, but there's certain areas where, you know, you don't really, it's, it's the regions changing. It's like clusters, right. As opposed to, you know, the center and the periphery. Right. And I think if you can, if you can chart where the transit is and where those affordable, the, the more affordable pockets are, I do think the region is still going to continue along the lines that we see in these, in these stats, you know, and, and I think that's where you should be looking. And we have a, we have an episode coming up with Jaden Lee talking about investing in Chilliwack, the whack of all places, the but the whack is, is back, the whack is back. But this is the thing about Chilliwack. They got beat up pretty bad in the, in the last, you know, 18 months. Yeah. And, uh, there's some like an up, down detached house with, uh, you know, like a suited house, the rental incomes are pretty good and you can still get, you know, a decent sized lot for, you know, call it a million bucks, which is, which is great. So we're going to have Jaden in to talk and kind of unpack some of the investment opportunities in the Valley. So excited for that. Okay. Sounds good. So I think, I think that's a wrap Adam. Uh, maybe before we go anything about the province. You know what? I think the one thing is, is I one I tend to agree with John Friesen that, you know, I not to sound like uh, obviously the fires were tragic, but in Kelowna, uh, but I would say that that market, a combination of like high interest rates, some downward pressure, combined with the, you know, the the concerns over over the fires this year, created an opportunity in Kelowna, has created an opportunity in that market, and. Um, it's a it's an opportunity that hasn't existed in a long time in that market, 
So I think there, from everything I'm looking at, I'm, I'm kind of seeing some buying opportunities in Kelowna as well. Fantastic. Well, maybe we'll leave it there and uh, we'll catch you on the other side. See you then. So there you have, folks, our discussion about investing in Vancouver real estate now. Matt, I really enjoyed that. I got to say, I had a lot of fun kind of unpacking the stats and doing the quiz. I love quizzes. Yes. I'm just going to put it no, out Matt, there. It's pronounced Quiznos. <laughs> but you like quizzes too? I also like quizzes. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, it's amazing that you print off the, the stats. And I feel like we could have come up with 50 questions, like pretty interesting, riveting questions. It seems like we should probably just start doing shows occasionally on that. One, one thing I was one thing I was thinking about is it's funny, but I mean this is and every, everyone should I mean we talk about this all the time the kind of the skins of the onion when you think about the market and you have to go really deep to kind of figure out what's going on in a certain submarket or even with a certain property, right? And I mean we're doing CMAs all the time, comparative market analyses, so it's it's often you're using the stats to interpret one specific home. Right. Right. And really trying to figure out what's going on in that sub-market and presenting that data. Yeah. And it's what's fun about this is actually looking at the stats holistically in this kind of like, you know, bird's 30, eye. 30,000 uh, foot view. Yeah, totally. Totally. And I think that's what makes it the the, the quiz fun. But you know what we should do is quiz quizzes with uh, sales ratios. Because I think that's one thing is a lot of people don't, We've done shows with sales ratios in the past, but yeah. a lot of people don't use them. And it's just so powerful to have that kind of data. I think, uh, especially I think for sellers. Idea. Yeah. No, Listen, I actually think that um, might be the next show. All right. Yeah. I like it. I like these quizzes. Yeah, for sure. Matt, what else do we got for the day? What else do we have? Well, if you're interested in looking at these stats we just discussed, uh, head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com where you can sign up for things like the live wire. We should say the whole back catalogs there. First yes. off, you can search, you can isolate by topic. We have the commercial real estate podcast as well. We have the the summaries. Over 500 um, episodes. Though. It's it, Yeah, it's, a, it's an, I don't want to say it's an incredible site, but it's pretty great. Uh, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, but you can also sign up for the LiveWire where you get the real estate board stats, but also sales ratios delivered to your inbox. You also get deal of the month, a host of other things. There's no reason why you shouldn't be on the LiveWire. We, of course, also have that button buy with us where you can sign up for private client services. Yeah, Matt. And if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us are power walking by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available at your fingertips over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Click buy with us. I got to say, we've had a lot of people sign up for PCS this since year, the Habits, yes, the uh, habits. episode specifically because, like we said, it, it just turns that like thirty minutes a day into 15, 10, 15 minutes pretty quick by having hey, PCS. The the way to uh, make sure your habits stick is to uh, create as little friction yeah. as possible. Well, and, yeah, uh, that's one of the ways to do that. Imagine you could, you know, burn the same calories in thirty minutes, but in fifteen. Like that's what it is. Yeah. PCS. Exactly. Power walking. Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. Yes. And Matt, uh, how can people get in touch with you? 
At any moment, you can give me a shout, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And of course, we have that Kokomo line, info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Well, have a great week. And next week, MLA Canada is here. This is, this uh, is uh, yeah, I know. We, we have been talking about this for a while. And I got to say, I can't believe it's finally, it's like Christmas has come early. No kidding. Can't wait for this episode. See you next week. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Mm-hmm.